Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are multiple ways that diet and lifestyle can support you through the challenges of midlife. And my latest book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with all my best nutritional advice to help you tailor your diet to your menopause symptoms. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Welcome to another of my best bits, marking the achievement of 500,000 downloads for this podcast, which I'm beyond excited about. To celebrate, I'm releasing a selection of brilliant moments from the past five series. And in this latest edition, we'll be hearing from Russell Foster, Professor of Circadian Neuroscience and all-round sleep expert. I launched the Happy Menopause podcast as a monthly show back in 2019 because I felt so strongly that there wasn't enough information out there about the menopause, and especially not about the role of diet and lifestyle in managing symptoms. Since that time, the menopause has had a lot of exposure in the media, which is a good thing. But I still feel that the nutrition side of things is sorely neglected, and that's why I keep going. I must be doing something right if so many of you are listening in, and I want to say a huge thank you to you all for tuning in. So let's get on with today's best bit, which takes us right back to the How to Improve Your Sleep episode in Season 1. Professor Russell Foster is a director of the Sleep and Circadian Research Institute and head of Oxford's Nuffield Laboratory of Ophthalmology. He's carried out decades of research into the science of circadian rhythms and sleep cycles and has received multiple awards and worldwide recognition for his work. I love chatting to him because he's the most delightful man with a brilliant capacity to explain complex information in a very understandable way. This episode is an absolute treasure of advice, as these extracts will show. What brought you to the subject of sleep? Well, again, not direct. During my undergraduate studies, I became absolutely fascinated with photoreceptors, light-detecting organs. I went to university thinking I would become a marine biologist because I was a swimmer, and I love biology, and so that seemed like the obvious combination. But I discovered light-sensing tissues uh, from various quarters. One was a fantastic book called J.Z. Young's Life of the Vertebrates. And in that book was this extraordinary discussion of lampreys, and that lampreys had not just lateral eyes, but they had a third eye, a, a photoreceptor, a pineal organ, which they used to regulate their behavior. And I just thought that was so extraordinary did my third year project uh, on recording from the pineal eye of, of, of tadpoles. And then my PhD was trying to understand the light sensing systems whereby birds detect day length to regulate their seasonal reproduction. Increasing okay. day length during the spring trigger reproduction. How is that detected? And that was my PhD work. Then went to the States and then started to work on, on mammals. And again, how the eye is is detecting light to set internal time. And that really has been the, the main feature of what I've done. But when I was at Imperial, I was speaking to a psychiatrist in a, in a lift 
who said, well, of course, everybody um, uh, knows why uh, individuals with mental health problems don't have good sleep. That's because they don't have a job. So they go to bed late, get up late, miss my clinic and don't have friends. And I thought that was such a stupid thing to say. We started mm. studying uh, humans with mental health problems. And what was so striking is that the sleep in those individuals wasn't just mildly disrupted, it was absolutely smashed. And right. that got me, me really into sort of the, in parallel with the work we were doing on how internal time and the sleep-wake systems are being regulated by light, but it's also what's going wrong with sleep in particular groups. And we started by working on individuals with severe mental health problems. I see. Okay. Well, I suppose that takes us rather neatly to the whole business of the function of sleep, because it really is about a lot more than just rest, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really fantastic that our appreciation of sleep has changed. I remember in the 1980s, people would, would talk about having done an all-nighter. And, you know, the general consensus was these are, these are, this is a great thing to have done. And of course, now I think we increasingly recognize that it is absolutely absurd to abandon a third of our biology and a part of our biology, which essentially defines our ability to function during the, the waking day. Our ability to develop memories, consolidating memories, laying down the information that we've received during the day into some sensible form in the brain whilst we sleep. And it's not just the retention of facts. It's also the processing of information. Coming up with novel solutions to complicated problems can be hugely enhanced by a night of sleep. So the, the other thing that's turned out to be very interesting is that the, the state of tiredness of the brain can very much influence the sorts of things we remember. So the tired brain forgets the positive experiences, uh, but remembers the negative experiences. So oh. there's lots of stuff. Going yeah. So, so, so the salience, um, uh, is very, uh, our salience is very much influenced by the, our level of tiredness, uh, which is, I think, extraordinary. Um, in addition to mental processing, we now know that the brain is regulating the removal of waste products, toxins that are built up during the day. And very interestingly, these misfolded uh, proteins, these beta amyloids that have been associated with dementia and Alzheimer's, are significantly cleared from the cerebral spinal fluid um, whilst we sleep. People who don't sleep have significantly high levels of beta amyloid in the, in, in the brain. And one wouldn't say that poor sleep is going to cause dementia or, or Alzheimer's, but it may well be a contributing factor. People in my clinic are always asking me about sort of nutrition advice for sleep and that while there are many nutrients that can help support sleep in lots of different ways, it's often more about what you don't do than what you do do. And one of the big things, and it's not always a popular thing to say, but, you know, people need to look at alcohol because while you know, it can be seen, you know, helpful as a nightcap in very small doses. By and large, it's a sedative and it's going to disrupt everything. Well, what's your view on that? And can you support me? I think it's an extremely important point because many people in the middle years and indeed teenagers we're finding uh, will drive the waking day because they wake up chronically tired they haven't had enough sleep during the day mm. so they drive the waking day with stimulants and particularly caffeine and if you're starting to drink caffeine uh, later into the day and, and certainly into the early evening you will delay sleep onset yes. it is a very effective stimulant 
And the, then the tendency says, oh, well, I've got to get up early. I better reverse these stimulants by taking some alcohol or sedatives of whatever form. And the key thing, as you rightly point out, is that these are sedatives. They do not provide a biological replacement for sleep. And so some of the really important things that are going on within the brain um, are actually very much affected by things like alcohol. And, and so, so memory consolidation, for example, can be impaired with alcohol use. And so what happens is you, you, you induce sedation, it can disrupt sleep, so you get worse sleep, you're then driven out of bed by the alarm clock, you have more stimulants, and then more sedatives. And so this stimulant sedative feedback loop is a feature for so many people in the middle years. And we've got to be so careful to, to sort of break that cycle. Sleep is a bit like shoe size. The average male shoe size is a 10. They sell shoes from, I think, about a 5 to a 14. Uh, and, and just like sleep, uh, one size does not fit all. Yes. And you have to assess what your sleep needs are and then defend them ferociously to make you, to essentially optimize your daily performance. Mm. I have sort of divided the sleep advice into four domains, which is what can you do during the day? What can you do immediately before bed? The, the sleeping space, the bedroom, and, and when you're finally in bed. And, and during the day, yes. I think it's really important to appreciate that morning light is really important, particularly in the winter, for stabilizing the, the sleep-wake cycle. If you don't get that morning light in, uh, exposure in particular, the clock begins to drift off. And that wonderful sort of regulation by the clock begins to fall apart. So morning light exposure. And if it's in the winter months, then, then a light box can be very useful. Many people will want to nap. Now, a short 20-minute nap during the day can be okay. Longer than 20 minutes, then you tend to descend into deeper sleep. And uh, then the recovery from that can be completely counterproductive. Uh, the other thing about napping is that it will push back the sleep pressure and therefore delay sleep that night. So if you're starting right. to nap and have longer naps closer to bedtime, this is going to disrupt your sleep. Exercise, of course, yeah. is great, but not too close to bedtime because that will raise core body temperature and that can delay right. the sleep onset. Food intake is also quite interesting. I think our eating habits have changed relatively recently. The main meal of the day was breakfast and lunch. And now the main meal of the day for many is in the evening, you know, dinner time. But food taken in at dinner time is more likely to be turned to fat rather than being processed. And of course, putting on weight can lead to other things like obstructive sleep apnea, snoring, and can disrupt sleep. So probably smart try to minimize food intake generally, obviously if there's some social occasions or whatever, but generally uh, to, the, to the beginning and, 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 the, and the middle of the day. And also, as we discussed before, take time to step back before you get home. But immediately before bed, you need to reduce light exposure. So we know that the brighter the light, uh, the greater that will promote alertness. And so at least 30 minutes before you go to bed, try and reduce the lights. And so in our house, for example, we've got dimmer switches in the bedrooms and indeed in the main rooms. And we sort of try and lure the lights before our planned bedtime. Again, stop using those electronic devices. It's not the light from those devices. There's a lot of confusion about this. The light isn't bright enough invariably to have much of an effect on shifting the clock, it will probably increase alertness. And it's the content of the electronic devices, whether it be emails yes. or 
social media or whatever yeah. is the real problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, a lot of people have got one of those screens which shifts from blue to red and they say, oh, well, I don't have to worry about, you know, using my devices uh, before I go to bed. <laughs> it's not the light. It's what you're doing with them. Don't yeah. obsess about sleep apps. So many people are using these sleep apps and they are, uh, or they can be profoundly misleading. What they're good for is telling you roughly when you went to sleep and roughly when you woke up. All this other stuff about slow wave sleep or deep sleep or good sleep um, is broadly nonsense. And I've actually had people come up to me and say, you know, I, I don't get any slow wave sleep. Does that mean I'm going to die? And one chap actually came up to me and said, I'm so worried about the, the little slow wave sleep I'm getting. I'm setting my alarm clock for 4 a.m. to wake me up to check how much slow wave sleep I've been having. I mean, it's just nonsense. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and so you know, just take them with an absolute pinch of salt. There are so many things to think about here. Russell is an absolute mine of information and very generous with his advice. If you want to listen to the whole thing and pick up every single nugget of information, check out Season 1, Episode 16. It's worth every second of your time. If you're a fan of The Happy Menopause, please do give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. It makes a huge difference to the algorithms which influence the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. I'll be back soon with another best bit. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.